0: You can take your seat.
1: The sermon text this morning is from Ephesians 4:1 through 16, and we'll be using the ESV for this. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord who is over all, and through all, and in all. But grace was given to each of you, each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying, he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended, Far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Well, good morning again, City Church. My name is Mike. I'm pastor of spiritual formation here, or at least one of them. And it's my pleasure to bring God's word today. As Scott, is, Scott and Kirsten are back, and they're a little greasy, if you will. If you're from the South, it's Greasy. Greasy if you will. Um, but they've been in Greece celebrating their anniversary and it's good to have them back. Good to see the joy and rest on their faces. Doesn't it make you long for some rest? <laughs> like to go away and to get away like that. So, we're glad you're back. And but it's my pleasure to bring the word this morning as we continue our our DNA series on what is our what is the church? Who who is City Church? We want to remember who we are, right? Remember all the things that were true of us before but also deepen those things. And as, as we hopefully get back to who we are as a church, as COVID continues, sure, but as it, you know, as its effectiveness, as its power hopefully continues to go away. But this morning, we're going we're gonna to continue that by talking about unity and diversity, as, as Scott told you. But as you begin to think about the metaphor that the Bible gives, it's the body, right? If you think about your bodies, there are lots of parts to your body. and a healthy body, those parts work together. And if, you know, as Neil prayed today for the, those who are counselors, or psychologists, those, you know that the brain, when it's not healthy, especially what trauma does to the brain, it disintegrates the brain. And so what ends up happening is trauma gets stuck in your brain, and then you begin to live your life as if that trauma continues. Everything is colored by it. And what we want to do is help bring integration back to the brain, where emotions and thoughts Feelings, words, all of those get integrated so that we bring our whole selves to things and not just panic and panic and panic where we can't calm ourselves down. We need integration. And and that picture is what the Bible gives us of the body, that we are different parts. We're all different people here with a unity, but yet different for a purpose. And that's what our text calls us to, and that's what we want to remember. Who are we? as his church? Who are we as his church, as a community, as a corporate, but also the different parts of who we are? What what are each one of us, all of your eyes, all of your stories, what are you called to bring to this body? And so we're going to dive in there this morning and talk about this unity and diversity. They almost seem like an oxymoron, but it's exactly what we're called to. So let's dive in. The first one we want to look at is the unity that we're called to. and And now as we I know we're in Ephesians 4, and we haven't been in Ephesians. We did preach on this three years ago, the, the entire book, if you want to go back and look at that. and Ephesians 4 is a critical term, and so I, I need to tell you about that term. But Ephesians 1 through 3, so the first parts are all the indicatives, if, if you know grammar. It's all, who are we? What's our identity? What has Christ done for us? What has he secured for us? And then at 4... All the imperatives start, which are the commands. If, if this is what he's accomplished, then who are you now? What do we do with this? That's from 4 to 6. There is literally like one imperative before chapter 4, and it's in a prayer that, that, that Paul says. And so all of what he's accomplished, and now what do we, who are we now? What is the results for us as a body? And the Old Testament, you might remember that Israel was the first church. The people of God was Israel. And their calling was to take God, His law, and who He is, His presence, to bring that amongst their community in the tabernacle, to live faithfully and holy. And what was the call? The mission was in the call to bring the nations in. To create one people through, wow, look, look at their God. How magnificent He must be to have those kinds of things. Look at what He's creating in these people. And they're supposed to be drawn to that over and over and over to unite all things. And Israel fails at that. Instead of living their calling out to unite, their their distinctiveness becomes something they use to separate themselves. And a lot of the anger we see in the Old Testament is God's people disobeying and the nations missing out on all that God intended for them to see His love through Israel. And so Jesus, Paul goes to pains through 1-3 through three to show us Jesus is the new Israel. He is the faithful son. Israel was the, the unfaithful son. Jesus is the faithful son who accomplished all these things and lived perfectly this life that his father had called him to to secure all of these things so that now there's no longer Jew and Gentile. That he has secured it for one people. There is one family now. One family under God. And that is his church. His church, that is us. That is his church all over this world that he secured. And Paul goes through pains to say that's what happened. Those who were far, far off have been brought near, were no longer aliens in chapter 2. And the mission is to reconcile the world to himself and to bring the fullness of who Jesus is to the world. How? Through his church. So again, now because Jesus has been faithful, his church is called to something. He has united this body now. And now this body is called to things in light of that. And so it's important to start with this. We don't go and create unity. Jesus created that unity. It already exists. He united all things. It exists. And now the gifts of the body are going to be used in service to, to us being united by him. Look at this. Verses 3 through 6, it says, Now we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now look at how many times he says one. Seven times. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We are to see He we have oneness in Jesus. What he has done has accomplished that. He has destroyed the dividing wall between races, between genders, between people, between cultures, all of those things. He has destroyed that by by saying, You all need to eat this bread. We all need to drink this wine. No one no one is exempt from it. Without him, everyone is doomed. We all need him, and so there's one. There's one, there's one, and he has secured all that. That's our unity in him. So it's uncommon today, especially lately, to look at what unifies us. Often don't we look at what is not in unity? Don't you begin to go, what about this? (laughs) What about that? There's all this disunity that exists, right? And it's true, there is a lot. And I believe a lot of it is because we forget this. We forget and we don't practice this, that we have been unified. That the unity exists not by skin color, not by power, not by how much money you have, not by any of that, but by Jesus and what he has secured. That's what unifies us. And that, in all of those ones, we go back to verse 3. He says, it's of the Spirit. And then one Lord and one Father. What do you hear there? Father, Holy Spirit, Lord, it's the Trinity. right there in the passage. it's hard you've got to slow down to see it, but the Trinity, the unified God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's three persons in one, is, is the life that we are called to. That's what we are to, that's what's been secured to live in us and through the church, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity, is the life of God called to invigorate, to empower, to embody. To be embodied by his church. Now, verses 1 and 2 say this It says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, you might not know this. When he says, I, Paul, a prisoner, he's literally in prison. He's not saying, you know, I'm a prisoner to Jesus. And necessarily in that sense, he's which he is, we all are, right? Like we have been, we're held captive by him, right? But what he's literally saying is, I am in prison. He wrote to the churches in the area of Ephesus from prison. And it's unjust that he's in prison. Look at how a lot of the injustice is handled in our world today, right? It's it handled in poor ways. We bring injustice because injustice happened to us as if that's okay. And he says, no, no, I'm in prison, and, I, and I'm writing you, for you to you to, to, to um, remember your calling and to live a worthy life and step with it, so walk with it, but with what? What, what, what is that characterized by? Listen, humility, gentleness, patience. What are those? Those are fruits of the Spirit. And we're going to talk about gifts in a few minutes. Gifts and fruits are different. It's actually fruit of the Spirit, if you more technically. I learned that from Tim Keller, that you, you can't just have one of them. You have one or you have none. I mean, you have all or you have none, is, is kind of the point. That if the Spirit's in you, His fruit comes out of you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, in which there is no law. That's Galatians 5. He's saying here that to walk in a manner worthy, to, if we're going to pursue the unity created for us, we need the fruit of the Spirit amongst us. That's, that's the power in the midst of being this unified people is to live out these this fruit. So humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love and eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. Christ, has, he is unified. And so what, how, do, how do we make every effort to, to maintain this? What does that look like? And there are a lot of ways, friends. But one is, is especially right now, don't take non-essential things and make them essential. We can't take the things that are are so important, the the justice that needs to be pursued and needs to be fought for. They, They can't be central things, though. That can't be the power that unites us. No, because in those things, there's not something for reconciliation. There's not a power for repentance. There's not a power for grace and kindness. No, what's, remember, one through three, what has he done? He went to the cross for us. He died in our place. Therefore, I'm forgiven and they can be forgiven. We all need this. So therefore, repentance, forgiveness, faith, love can exist now because he has destroyed the wall. So to take something else and make that central, you miss out on all those components. You see that? To, to make the non-essential central, you don't have power to bring the relational hope we all desire. We must keep the essential essential. It must stay in the middle. The unity that he has secured for us in, through the cross must be central. And so now I know it's an oxymoron. Um, oh well, I, I do want to say this: when we when we don't do that, when when we make something else central, Paul says later in the passage that's called immaturity. It's important to hear that. He says those who are mature pursue this unity, right? And so if we're pursuing something else as the unity, it's not maturity. That's the person tossed around to and fro, right? And so now as we go. It's, again, an oxymoron, but to, as we grow in this unity, it's, how do we do that? It's through diversity. It's through the diversity of gifts that he offers here. So let's look at verse 7. It says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Now, each one of us. I hope you hear how, how all-inclusive that is. No one is exempt. Grace is given to each one of us. And how much do you get? How much of this gift do you get? Whatever Christ gives you. That's how much you get. What he decided to give you in these spiritual gifts is what you have, it's what he's given. And so it's on him. And now you have the, I'm not going to read them again, but the confusing part of this middle of this passage is often confusing. It was to us as a staff team as we began to read this on Monday and. And exegeta as a community, but verses eight through ten, it's the one who descended is the one who also ascended, and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa who hit me? You know, and and <laughs> so this is Psalm sixty-eight, is what Paul's quoting here, and he's taken and he actually changes it a little bit, but what, here here's what sixty-eight is about. It's about a king who takes his army out to battle, and they win, they're victorious, and they get the loot, they get all the booty. All of it comes to, the, to this army and then they come back and you know what the king does? He takes all that's been secured and he gives it to his people for the flourishing of his kingdom. The one who descended, Jesus, is the one who, got, who was victorious through the incarnation. He's the one that went up on a cross. He descended and died in our place and got victory and now has ascended. And now what is he doing? He's taking the gifts that he secured, and he gives it to his people. He gives it to his church. That's us. So we, it's here. We may not know what they are, but you have them. I have them. We have gifts of the Spirit. So what are they for? Let's, so what, what are spiritual gifts? Let's keep going. Uh, I, I do want to read it. The one who has unified us has now distributed a diversity of gifts to his people. Just said plainly. So verse 11 says this. It says, And he gave us. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Let me read this quote here. I'm sorry. I'm glad this is up there. I would have missed it. Uh, Spiritual gifts is from Tim Keller. It says, Spiritual gifts are differing abilities given by the Holy Spirit to each believer to meet needs in such a way that it creates a community of people who are growing into the fullness of the character of Jesus Christ. Let's read it again. Spiritual gifts are differing abilities given by the Holy Spirit to each believer to meet needs in such a way that it creates a community of people who are growing into the fullness of the character of Jesus Christ. So that is what spiritual gifts are. Look at verse 11. I may not put it up there. It says, he gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So what are the spiritual gifts? We saw that's, that's what they are. They're given by the Holy Spirit to build up this church, to build us up. But there are five lists in the Bible. And it will be very difficult for me to go through all of them because that's actually not the point. There are five lifts and five lists, and you know what's similar about all five? They're all different. And so I can't really give you a spiritual gift like just a all right, this is all what they look like. You know why they're different? It's because they accompany the church they go with. Each church has specific needs, therefore, Jesus takes the people of that church and gives them specific needs for that church. Isn't that beautiful? Our church has different needs than than others. There there are certain people here. There's a certain kind of person, woman, man, children drawn here, that this church needs certain things to become like Jesus. And guess what? How are we going to meet those needs? It's you. It's me. It's us. We are vital to meeting the needs. To growing in maturity. We are important. This is why this sermon is in the DNA series. It's so important that you know it's not me, Scott and Kirsten, or any other leader in this church that we're gonna rally around my vision and my mission for this church, and we're gonna we're gonna go get it. No. We are the vision and mission. The church is not a building, it's not a day of the week, it's a community, it's a people that gather in his name. That's you, that's me, that's us and so spiritual gifts are given for us and that's why they're all different here but there are similarities right there there are gifts of just to tell you what some of them are some of you have the gift of encouragement Barnabas in the bible it said he was the he was the son of encouragement right there's something about him that was amazing and Barnabas says i love how humble he is he's got this church and he's grown it and it's thriving and you know what he goes and does hey paul I can only take it so. Come, come here and teach now. He calls his brother Paul, the man we're we're learning from right now, to come to this church and to take it to a different level, because his gifts came here and he needed Paul to come and help. Encouragement, leadership, care, discernment—these are all gifts that that he hands out. Teaching, um, you know, it says apostles. Now, I want to be clear: there, there's the offices. The office of apostle is is gone. There's no. We believe in, in, in our denomination and in this tradition, there are no capital A apostles anymore. An apostle that the Bible would define as someone who was with Jesus. Or Paul saw Jesus with that encounter he had with him when the, his eyes went blind. He, so that's why he's an apostle. It's a direct connection with the Lord himself is what a capital A apostle is. But the gift of apostleship now is the person that sins. That goes that he, he's the architect of what's the ministry what's the strategy of this vision a lot of times you don't see apostles in church anymore they're out there running businesses and making things happen in systems in different ways that's the gift of apostleship prophets are those who speak on behalf of god now a little, again the prophets another office we think is closed that when the canon was finished the bible there's no longer a need for capital p prophets But there is prophecy that happens here the way we speak into each other and to help discern what is God saying in each other's lives. There are gifts of prophecy in that sense. Um, And then the rest are are the same, like evangelism, teaching, shepherding. These are all gifts given to build up the body of Christ. Now, I want to give this warning. If there are different gifts, that means there's going to be different passions. Some of you might look at someone, maybe you have the gift of justice in here, and you look at, how could you not care about that? I mean, come on. And so, again, that's a gift that maybe this this person has that gives them eyes and a heart to feel and to see, and it's beautiful, and and we need to have discernment for how to bring that into the body because most likely something in the body needs that expression of that gift. But it might cause someone else to go, well, I mean, you know, I don't see it the same way you do right because there are different gifts here there's often conflict which means we got to go back to point 1 and remember what unifies us what what ensures we are brothers and sisters what created the relational equity between us to start with now we can argue now we can talk about that because the relationship is secure it's important when talking about spiritual gifts to know that because if we take them seriously we will have conflict there will be struggles between us oftentimes so what is the goal of spiritual gifts? It was in the second part of verse 11. It's to build up the body of Christ, to make us into the body. What, what does this mean? It, it's not this. So I could have a stack of bricks or a pile of bricks, and I put them over here and stack them in a certain way. That's not this body. We're, we are different, but it's not a stack of bricks. It's something that's organic, and that's why the, the body metaphor is used. You have the circulatory system. You have the, the neural things, right, going on, respiratory, the all, cardiac. All these different systems that work together right, to build up the body. So it's not stacking bricks. It's something organic, something that has life in it as we come together. That the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit indwell the life of God inside of us. And then verse 13 says this, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You can leave it up up there for a second. And, And so these gifts are there so that we attain to the mature to the uh, excuse me, attain to the unity that's been created for us. We want to live into what we already are. You hear that? So there is lack of unity and the spiritual gifts are given so that we can live into what's been secured for us. We want to become what we are. And the gifts are here to make sure that happens. And into mature the reason it says manhood is just It's like human manhood is for all of us here to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So Christ gives gifts to us so so that we can live into the unity. So there's the fullness of himself here, the fullest expression of who who Jesus is, who had all the spiritual gifts so that we can have his fullness. We all need gifts. That's how good he is, first of all, that it would take all of us to, to even begin to match. The fullness of what he brings but if this church is going to thrive and grow into who we are all of us have to be here all the diversity of people in this room must be present here and again these gifts are not the same as fruit and this brings us into the fullness Um, so that again i want to slow down and say it so that this church this local expression has the different gifts needed for where god has called us every one of us is essential to the diversity of people here is needed. So what does this mean for us? Uh, he says he gives this to each of us. We're all, I've said that a bunch. We need this for maturity, for sure. But we got to hold these two things in tension. One is this. You have been given a gift to contribute to this body. Slow down think about it. What is your gift? What is your gifts, maybe, that you are to bring here to build us up to make disciples here so that we become more mature. What are those gifts? Is it serving coffee? Is it playing in the band? Is it teaching kids? Yes. Those are all part of it. But it's not just that. What does it mean for us to mature as disciples? Yes, it's doing everything that has to happen on a Sunday morning. But this goes from not just Sunday morning happening, but into our homes with our children, upstairs with our children as we train them. This is every part of our life. The gifts are brought in because, again, this is not a Sunday endeavor. This is bigger than just today. And so we need to bring our gifts. But also, you need, I need, everyone else's gifts if I'm going to mature. So i got to bring my gifts in order for us to mature, but I need you to bring your gifts if I'm going to mature. You see the tension? I'm responsible and needy at the same time. Do you see how interconnected we have to be in order to be mature here? We all have to be responsible to know and bring our gifts. But we all are responsible to help each other know and bring their gifts. Isn't that interesting? I hope I said that right. I think I did, actually. I think I actually nailed it for once. (laughs) You know? Yeah, we're responsible, yet we need each other to contribute here. Now, if you're at a big church, you know what often happens? It's easy to hide. We're becoming a bigger church, as you know. But if you're at a small church, you know what the other extreme is? A few people handle everything, and it gets burned out pretty quick. We're kind of right in the middle. If you don't know that, 98% of churches are are 500 or smaller. I don't know if you know that. Most churches are not bigger than 500. Most are even below 200. We're a pretty normal church in a lot of ways with where we are. And so we're we're not so small, but we're not so big. So we're right in the middle where we have – the tendency for burnout, and then we have the tendency for people to hide. Like we, We're, we're kind of on both of those, so we've got to be careful not to fall off of either one. Let's not hide. Let's bring our gifts because I need your gifts. We need your gifts, but it's also, let's don't let a few people just carry this whole thing. What does it mean for you? What, God, what may God be calling you to in this diaconate, diaconate stuff that we're talking about that we're connecting with neighborhood communities? Where you live, work, and play. What does it mean to to live it out there? Right? So the vision of our church that we need to be saying more and more is this. It's not what you think it is. It's not joining God as family on mission. That's our mission. Our vision is we want to see changed lives through the power of Christ. What is the outcome we want? What, What do we hope for? Change lives through the power of Christ. It's important for all of us. How will that happen? Joining God. As family on mission, we, will, we live as a family together on mission that he's called us to because he's renewing all things. You, me, us, the city around us. So change lives through the power of Christ as we join him on fa- as family on mission. That's our vision and our mission that we're wanting to work out here. And so what today if you're here, if you're not using your gifts, there could be a few reasons. One, I want to be careful here because I want to be loving, Right? I want to say it correctly, but we could you could be being disobedient. You might not be a Christian. The Spirit may not be compelling you to that because he might not be there. Right? there. It could be conversion is necessary. But what if it could be also maybe you're immature? And guess what, guys? If you're immature, I'm immature. That's what this says. If you're immature, I'm immature. Because if we're going to have maturity, the body works together, Paul says. Every ligament, every, every muscle, everything's working together for this maturity. And so nobody can be immature on our watch. And notice I said our watch. I don't mean pastors. We, we need to all be involved in pursuing this maturity together because your own maturity exists on it. That's what he's saying here. It's how the, the work of Acts will continue. And so now, how will this happen at City Church? I love this. Um, you know, there's one gift that is in every list. Love. Remember? First Corinthians 12. You have this and this and this and all these things. And then 13, he says, but if there's one greater, there's, one, there's the greatest one. It's the one above all else. And if you don't have this one, you're a clinging gong. Because Guess what? You can be gifted and not have the, the the fruit of the spirit. You can do a lot of gifts without any character of Jesus inside of you. Matter of fact, there I, I, I heard a podcast this week where a preacher said I even got amazing at my gift and I didn't have the spirit in me. It's possible to be in my seat and do that. Right? But here, the greatest is love. And look at look at verse fifteen. This is what we've been building to. Not not this one, but the next. Yeah, fifteen. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Now, I studied this a lot this week, and there's a kind of a division out there. It's, it could be saying two things. So when we speak the truth, we need to go, like I did a minute ago, well, I need to be loving, so how can I say this in a way? Which is kind of funny, because like, that love feels a little manufactured to me, doesn't it? It's like, I want, I don't want to be that guy here, but maybe you're disobedient. You know? No, I This is actually not what the leaning of the text is. Most people actually don't think it says that. What it's saying is, speaking the truth in love. See the difference? So speaking the truth in love or speaking the truth in love. And what that means is there's an embodied love. That when the the life of Christ is here, when the Holy Spirit's in us, the love that we show speaks a better word. It is so, it's so truth. It's so much truth. It's so powerful. It's so wonderful because, again, it's one through three. What is he secured for us? How powerful is that in our hearts? That now as we love one another, it speaks truth. But don't, obviously we speak the truth in love. I don't want to leave that one out, but there's an embodiment of this love that has to happen. It's not manufactured. It's something powerful and real that you can't really teach. Like, I, I, I kind of don't have words for it now because it's his love that's just in us that comes out of us as we relate to one another, as we share life together, as we know each other's needs and learn and discern what our gifts are for the sake of the body. That's what this is about, is this speaking the truth in love. Um, I, I think I've told this story a long time ago. But I'm going to tell it again. Um, in 2003, I'd been married a month, and I was on this conference And, um, again, a month. And I was at the Citadel, and it was a new ministry. And with the ministry I was in, unfortunately, your identity was, how many guys did you have come to the conference? It wasn't in Jesus Loves Me, and He Died for Me. It was more in the mission, which is, what's happening on your campus? Who are you leading? And so that's where my mindset was. That's what I was pursuing. And I was at a school. I, I went to college at the Citadel, if you didn't know. Mostly men, like 99% men back then, and a few women. But at my conference, it was only men there. And my poor little wife, brand new married, she didn't know where she fit. She had a hard time all weekend. And we had this breakout conference right towards the end. It's In the evening, it's like 9 or 10 at night. We have a counseling session with a pastor I'd never met before right after this because it was how it was scheduled. So I go, and I'm trying to lead, and Jen comes up to me. And she goes, I, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know where I f- just go in and we'll, we'll be fine. So she goes in the room and then the guy goes, oh, there's a girl in here. You can't say nothing. Just like that. You know what happens, right? Destroys her. She comes out and she's crying. And I was like, I got to leave the campus. What, what are you doing? Go on. Like, I can't do this right now. Right? So she leads, She runs off to the room. I go in there and take us to the hill. You know, I lead us like, like I can. Right, and we we get done, I go, I show up at the counseling session, and I, I walk around the corner, and there's a circle table, and it's this man I don't know, my wife, and a woman I don't know. She's sitting between them, across the table. She's, her face is all puffy, and I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> and so I go, hey, he goes, Jeff, Jeff is the man, he, get, he starts the conversation like this. He goes, Mike, I want you to know tonight, Jen is sleeping in our room. I'm like, what? And I sit down, guys, and this man, he gave me some truth. It was very loving. He said, you're being arrogant. You hurt your wife. You completely missed the point. And called me to the table, on the table right there. Guys, I got up. I was mad. I bulked. Like, you know, he's a little guy, too. You saw he did my, um, when I became an elder, he did that here. He's a little guy. He's about this tall. And I have tried to man up. He just stayed right. Kind of, kind of like that Goodwill Hunting scene, It's Not Your Fault. He just stayed there with me over and over and over. And, guys, I broke. I broke. I saw that I wasn't loving her. I saw how much I was hurting her. And it's because this man stood up to me. He, he he saw the arrogance and the way that I was missing the gospel. And he said, no, this is not who you are. And then today he's one of my best friends. He's still a mentor in my life. And I would not have the marriage we have if it weren't for this man speaking the truth in love. Not only in what he said, but how he embodies it with his wife. How can we be that for each other, friends? It's essential if we're going to be mature, if we're going to live out the DNA of this church. we've We've got to remember, what's essential? Jesus. He came. He gave his life. He is the truth of love that died in our place, rose from the dead, and now that has implications. Our lives are called to be lived, to have a weight to them. It's that, that whole thing is to, a life worthy. It's like scales. So if Jesus' life and what he's done weighs this much, we should have a weight to us like what he has done. And so he gives gifts in his victory to this body for these people at this time. What are your gifts? What has he called you to? What is he calling us to? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Jesus. Father Son, Holy Spirit, uh, we need your your life in this body, and Lord, we confess we are immature I'm immature, Lord. I, there are days I don't know how to give the gifts, I don't know what they are on some days. I'm even surprised when people tell me because i haven't I haven't pursued them at times like you're calling us to here but Lord, our, our unity is important because you secured it for us. And we want more of it, Jesus. And so would you convict our hearts now? Would you take us to confession and then feed us at your table? Because, Jesus, we need your love. We need encouragement to go and to be this for each other and and for ourselves and and for the sake of, of your love going out to this world. And so, Jesus, meet us in it as we go. We pray in your name. Amen.
1: Well, you just heard Mike in his sermon just talk about Hey, it could be from a lack of, you know, it could be ignorance. It could be like, I've never learned my gifts before. Or it could be willful disobedience, even as Mike said that. There is a challenge in there that we all need to hear, myself included. What we're going to do now is we're going to go to confession. And confession, the one that actually Mike wrote this confession, is for this very reason, for us to kind of enter into the sermon now privately.